4. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, you can follow along right there in the bulletin. The passage we'll be studying together is, is printed in the bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord to you, God's children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that, you, uh, that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did, uh, you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off, uh, from off the face of the earth. And skipping down uh, to verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statues to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment for the Lord our God as he has commanded us today. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word, uh, challenging, convicting to us, also insightful, giving us wisdom. Lord, you know uh, the great challenge of parenting, uh, how much it demands of us. We need your grace, but we also need your instruction to guide us. So please be our teacher and send your spirit. Apply these words into each one of our lives, our homes, both for those who have children or raising children now and those, uh, those who may not. Would you uh, be our teacher, we pray, in Jesus' name. So we are in a, a fourth sermon on a, in a five-part sermon series on parenting. And if you were here last month, our first sermon in that series was on infant baptism. And that may have been a new idea for some of you, but one of the main things that we talked about in, in that sermon on infant baptism is that God in the Bible gives us the freedom to regard the, Christian of ch the, the children of Christians as Christians. We don't have to regard our children as kind of lost unbelievers that we hope someday will become Christians, but we get to disciple them as people with a young faith that needs to be nurtured and cultivated. Now, if you were here for that sermon and you, hadn't, you know, don't have a background with infant baptism, one of the thoughts you might have had was, you know, if you come into church and you baptize the babies, doesn't Christianity turn into this kind of cultural tradition 
you know, where we only go to church at Easter and Christmas and we baptize the babies because it's kind of ceremony that we do culturally. But, you know, it's not really tied to any vital, real relationship with the Lord or real faith. And, you know, I think if we do that, you know, I, I had a number of friends in seminary that were from the South, and they would say, you know, that's just how it is in the South. Everyone is a Christian. Everyone, you know, is kind of baptized, has the name of Christian, and many of the people don't actually really live out their faith. Isn't that what's going to happen if we practice infant baptism? So that's a question. How do we answer that? And, well, I think uh, the answer is that as a church, if we're going to baptize our children, we must take very seriously the responsibility, the discipleship, and the Christian nurture of the children that God has given to us. You know, Jesus says in the Great Commission, you should baptize the nations, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you should teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Baptism and teaching have to go together. And so um, that's why as a church, if you come to our church, you know, if someone's a family and said, hey, you know, I live down the street, and I don't come to your church, but I really want to get my baby baptized. You know, I did that when I was a kid, and it'd be fun to do that for my, you know, we don't do that. You have to be a member of the church because we say we make a pledge as a church and as parents that we are going to disciple and train up these children to live as Christians and know Christ. And uh, this practice, this spiritual formation was an important part, the spiritual formation for children was an important part of the life of Israel um, as God intended it in the Old Testament. And this passage from Deuteronomy is an important uh, statement of that. And this passage that I read begins with one of the most famous sayings from, two of the most famous sayings from the Old Testament. The first is what's called the Shema, which was kind of a creed, a, a confession that the Jews would say, uh, um, pronouncing their faith in God. And then it's followed right up with what Jesus calls the greatest commandment in the whole Old Testament. It's the greatest of all commandments. You see that there in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And what's so amazing about this passage is that God says the love that we have for the Lord in our hearts is something that we can share with our children. We can give it to them. And, uh, you know, some of you might say, you know, well, I as a parent can put love for God in the heart of my child. Isn't God the only one who can do that? Doesn't the Holy Spirit have to do that in their hearts? And the answer is yes. But God uses certain means. And one of God's favorite means to use in a child's life is parents discipling their children. That's how he wants his grace to go to them. That's how he wants to work in their life. It's by us sharing the love that we have. And, uh, and God has given us some instructions on how to do that. Here they are in Deuteronomy 6. So this morning we're going to talk about discipleship and parenting. And in particular, three things I want to highlight from this passage is that first, discipleship is spontaneous. Second, Discipleship is structured. And third, discipleship is gospel-centered. Okay, three things, spontaneous, structured, and gospel-centered. And so, uh, here we go. The first one is this. Discipleship is spontaneous. And I think the first thing to take from this passage I just read from Deuteronomy is that God intends that our discipleship for our children is something that's kind of happening all the time in our life. You maybe pick that up there in verse 6. And the, look at what it says. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. How do you teach them diligently to your children? 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you arise. And the picture here is that teaching happens as you go through life. It's spontaneously happening, and teaching opportunities arise all the time. And so I think the first thing as parents for us to take from this passage is that we should take spontaneous moments, opportunities for teaching, very seriously. We should take them seriously. You know, uh, some of you, for example, you might say, you know, I struggle to pray for my kids, to remember to pray for them. There are moments that come up during the day where your kid's frustrated or, you know, they're, they're fighting with each other or they had a rough day and they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Use those opportunities to pray. You know, um, there's questions that they ask, you know, out of nowhere. And we weren't prepared and we're doing something else. And oftentimes we can say, you know what, I'm doing something else. Don't ask me that right now. But you, we need to recognize that when our chi- a child asks us a question about God or about the Bible, the Holy Spirit is working in that moment. And we should pause what we're doing and we should be aware and listen to what they're saying and say, wow, God's working right now. I mean, you only ask a question about who God is if the Spirit is moving you to do that. And we should be attentive to it. And if we don't know the answer to the question, it should be a priority for us to say, I'm going to find out. You know, I don't know that. Well, what do you think about it? Okay, that's kind of, here's a few things I do know. I can tell you that. Maybe we go look it up. Let's go, you know, or, hey, come with me to the computer. Let's send, you know, Pastor Daniel an email. Pastor Nate, too, you send me an email. And uh, we're going to send him an email, ask him. We don't know the question. And, uh, and, um, and I think um, one of the things that's striking about this, this passage where it says, you know, as you're going along the way, you're walking along the way, and you're sitting down, is there's an assumption that our children are with us. They're with us in our life. And the way that spontaneous teaching happens is if we let our kids come alongside us, whether, you know, we're working in the home, if you, if, in any way that you can in your, in your vocation, or, what, or the things that you're doing with your life, the more they are with you, there are going to be opportunities that arise all over the place to teach them about who God is. And when those things come up, we take the opportunity very seriously. Now, um, some of you may say, well, you know, I don't know how to talk to my kids about spiritual things. It just does, I don't even know what to say. And, um, and of course, I think we all feel that way to varying degrees. And so the first thing about learning to seize those kind of opportunities is to pray about them. You know, it's like anyone. If you had a coworker that you wanted to talk to about God, and you're like, I don't even know how to get into a conversation, what do you do? You've got to pray. The Spirit has to open that door. And we should do that as parents. We should pray that God would open doors for us to have those conversations. But I think the other thing is I don't think that you have to imagine that spiritual conversations mean you giving sermons to your children and just kind of like, let me spill my wealth of knowledge to you. You know, that probably won't go over very well anyways. What you want to have is a discourse. They ask you a question. You don't know the answer. Ask them the question. Well, what do you think about that? So you're saying this, and you try to work out, and, and have it be a dialogue. Put the question back in their court. Let them uh, try to work it out. But one of the most important things that um, this passage is calling us to teach our children is that being a Christian affects all of life. It's, um, it's not just something we do on Sundays. It's not just something we do you know, during a workshop hour or during Sunday school. It's not just something we do during Bible study. It is something that affects all of our life. And unless the conversation of the Lord, about the Lord is bleeding into everything we're doing, there's going to be a tendency for Christian children to make two lives. And we all have some tendency towards that. And so that's why the main teaching that has to happen, it happens spontaneously 
and, uh, and, uh, and throughout the day. Now, one thing that this uh, passage also has kind of an interesting practical note about, you know, if we're trying to saturate our lives, the lives of our children with the knowledge of the Lord, the wisdom of the Lord, the truth of the gospel, is it says this in verse, verse 8, and maybe you notice this, you shall bind them as a sign, these are the scriptures, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And what this is saying is one of the ways to kind of saturate a child's life with the scripture is to make them physically visible. You know, this talks about putting a sign on your hand or this band that you'd wear on your forehead. I don't know if that was literal. But um, put them in physical places where you actually see the scriptures. And I know, you know, for me, I, you know, to be honest with you, I always thought it was kind of funny, you know, putting a... Bible verses, you know, as decorations in homes, and I was like, felt like it was kind of like using the Bible verses as like a Hallmark card or something like that. But then I realized, you know, I talked to people who say, you know, I grew up in a home and my parents, they had this scripture on the wall, and I saw it all the time. And then I was older, and I always remembered that. That was, that was like the biggest verse in my Bible. It's the most important verse in my Bible because I saw it all the time. The parents didn't even have to talk about it. I just saw it there. And here it is in Deuteronomy. It says physically, you know, that might be true for you as an adult. You know, some people put little post-its in places so that they have the scriptures, you know, at their workplace or something like that. Physically putting the scriptures around us is another way of trying to fill our life with God's word. And so that it's constantly shaping us. Okay? And so... Um, this, is, this is the first way, as parents, that we should disciple our children. We, we should expect that it does not just happen on Sundays or in Bible studies. It's spontaneously, we should look for opportunities to bring discussion about the Lord into every, everything that we're doing. But I think for most of us, we'll find that these kind of spontaneous spiritual conversations feel unnatural. They may not feel natural. For you to do. And I think that's why this passage not only says that discipleship uh, happens kind of all the time, but the second thing is that discipleship must be structured also. So it happens kind of spontaneously, shooting from the hip, and also you need some structure or some routine. Right? For any of you, if you've ever learned anything in your life or you've made something a priority in your life, you've always made a routine for it. And that's how you do things. That's how you learn things is through routine. Now, the first routine, of course, that I think any Christian family must insist on is the keeping of the Lord's Day. Being here for worship. It is, uh, very, there's nothing more important than uh, for children on a weekly basis to come and sit among God's people and to sit under God's word, to listen to God's word, to sing among God's people. This experience that we're doing right now, is there's nothing like it to put the knowledge of the Lord kind of into our bones. It's something that's like, this is a part of me. And that's one of the reasons, you know, some of you might say, you know, why don't we have more age-appropriate lessons during the worship service? You know, a lot of these kids, they can't understand what I'm talking about. They can't follow the sermon. I go on and on, and they're trying to understand. And, um, and one of the reasons for that, we have nothing against age-appropriate Bible studies. That's a good thing. And yet, but it is far more powerful for a child to sit and watch his or her parents, other adults, worshiping the Lord. And as you're sitting here and you're, you know, trying to follow the sermon and you're, they know whether you're trying to get something out of it and you're trying to benefit from it, they know. They know if you're singing or you stand there and read the words or look around while other people are singing. Does your mouth open? Does any sound come out of it? Is there any heart behind that sound? They're watching. 
Are you praying? Is this something that you look forward to? It's an important part of your week. Are you waiting for the football game? And it's like, I have to get, I have to check this box off this week. They are watching all those things. And as they are here with us, it trains them who they are and who they are. It is formative for forming their identity as Jesus' people. Actually, there was a, a, a guy that did some work for us several years ago as a carpenter who um, had uh, grown up in uh, grown up in the church. Actually, his dad was a pastor, an abusive, I think, alcoholic pastor. I mean, it was a very difficult home. And he grew up in the church, and then, you know, he ran away from the church. You know, all the hypocrisy they had seen in his home, and he ran away from it. And then he was telling me that uh, later in life, he was probably in his late 40s, everything was falling apart in his life. And so he decided to go back to a church. And he, he grew up in a Lutheran church, so he went to the Lutheran church, and he said as soon as the service began, he realized he was home. After decades, it was still in him that this place, God's house, God's people, the worship of the Lord, this is my home. No matter how far he wandered away, he could not get that out of himself. And that's one of the things, that's why the most important routine that, we, that God has put into our lives, he's commanded for us, is we have this weekly basis of, of keeping the Lord's day and worshiping the Lord. But another element of Christian nurture that requires routine, that I think is kind of out of fashion in at least my generation, is the practice of a devotional life, kind of personal piety and family worship. Those are things that are you know, maybe foreign uh, to some of us. And, uh, you know, even though that this passage says that teaching kind of happens spontaneously, right, while you're walking along the way and while you're sitting and while you're going through your day, you could also read this passage and say, actually, it's telling us set times with which we should be praying and engaging with the Lord and reading the scriptures. You uh, see what it says there? Read it again in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When do you sit in your house? Soft around meals, right? That might be what that's talking about, right? And uh, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. There's a pattern of morning and evening. Times to talk about the scriptures, to study the scriptures, to pray about the scriptures. And I I just just finished uh, Tim Keller's new book on prayer. It's a great book. And uh, in the final chapter on... uh, Uh, in this book on prayer, he he talks about how the church, historically, has had certain hours, set hours for prayer, especially after the kind of monastic movement. You know, monks would, uh, seven times a day, would stop for prayer. They had these hours of set prayer. And when the Protestant Reformation happened, the reformers said, you know, the holy life is not something that just monks do, but all Christians are called to live a holy life. And so they need to have set hours of prayer too. But, you know, if you have a job, you can't stop seven times during the day and go pray. And so they said, you know, we're not going to have seven times, but the pattern in the scripture is morning and evening. We have a morning kind of devotional time and an evening devotional time, this pattern, this routine. And what they said that was that the morning time is generally going to be a time of individual devotion, individual time in prayer and scripture reading. And then the ending of the day, there would be a, a time of family worship. The family would c- come together to worship the Lord. And so what I want to do is I want to just talk about these two routines um, that maybe very few of us maybe have these kinds of practices in our homes. And I want to just describe them to you. These are not burdens. They're actually delightful. And they're not that hard to actually incorporate into our life. So first, let me talk about morning devotions. 
And um, I can tell you that you can only give to your children spiritually what is true for yourself. You can't share it with something, something that you, you don't have. And so for some of you, as you think about how do I disciple my children, the first thing might be to think about, do I have a time in the day where I read the Bible and when I pray? And, you know, like I said earlier, the most important things in your life you make routines for. You make sure that you do them regularly. And so it's a strange question. If you don't have a routine for God himself, why is that? So it might be that, and listen, this doesn't take long. To spend time in the morning, to take 10 or 15 minutes, you know, read a psalm, read a chapter of the scripture, uh, pray for things that are on your heart, maybe write down, these are some things that I'm going to pray for. And, but once you do have that in place, some of you do have that. You know, I do spend time with the Lord. I do have a devotional life. How do I share that with my children? Well, one of the things is let them come and sit next to you and do their devotions next to you. You know, let them, let them be with you. Oftentimes, for those of us who are kind of spiritual people, the, the Bible is something that takes us away from our family. But as your kids get to an age where they can read, come and have them sit next to you and say, hey, what are you reading? I don't know what to read in this book. You know, help them find a chapter and, or a book and say, all right, read this chapter. You have any questions? You can ask me about it. And then maybe we'll have a little conversation, but um, we'll pray together that the Holy Spirit will kind of guide us during this time. And listen, this could just be, uh, 5, 10, or 15 minutes, and it had a pr- profound effect on your life and on the life, lives of our children. And I think the key is that we're doing it together. It's an experience of grace. Spiritual disciplines are an experience of grace when we can do them together. And, you know, I, I just read this last year, a, a novel by Marilyn Robinson called Home, which is the, uh, the story of, about this woman named Glory, Glory whose father is actually an aged Presbyterian minister. And he's old, and she's come home to take care of him. And, uh, you know, she, while she's been away from home, she, you know, she had this very kind of pious life. She grew up in this very, you know, pastor's home. And she had, you know, made some mistakes in her life while she was away. And it's describing her now being back in this home with her father, and also her prodigal brother has come home as well. And the story is all about their relationship to one another. And I want to read to you a paragraph Uh, from that book. This is what it says. Glory had kept most of the habits of her pious youth. Morning and evening, she took her Bible out to the porch and read two or three chapters. When the others were at home for the holidays, they would sit around the table in the dining room, and one of them would read aloud from the Psalms of the Gospels. During the years she lived alone, She had read the Bible morning and evening with the thought that her father would be pleased if he knew and also to remember who she was, to remember the household she came from, to induce the unspecific memory of a comfort she had not really been conscious of until she left it behind. There was a comfort in her home of reading the scriptures and knowing that God was there and God spoke to her family. And it was something that never left her. It's something powerful we can give to our children. I'll just tell you, it's a delight to sit next to your children and read the Bible. But related to that, um, oh, well, let me just say this, by the way. Some of you say, you know, I, well, I have young kids. And just doing this whole thing that you're describing is impossible with the kids running around and tearing things apart. And, um, and let me just say, it's not always going to be like that. You kids are going to grow up and they're going to get to an age where they can read. And it's okay. Just wait. <laughs> wait till that time. You don't have to do everything right now. You know, it's a funny thing. I, I uh, 
you know, I started doing some catechisms from the Reformation with my kids when they were probably five, and I was reading this history book about the history of the Reformation. It turned out that this is what, in the Reformation, they did with 10 to 12-year-olds. And I was, like, I was like, oh, man, I'm really trying to, like, force my little kids to do something, that, you know, they could grow into. There's an appropriate time for it. And you can make, you don't have to feel a tremendous amount of guilt of doing these things. There is an appropriate time, and God knows that. Um, but, you know, one thing that's been helpful, if you have young kids, this is something that I've, I've done with my kids, is if iPhone is a really powerful thing. If, when your kids are going to bed, and you're tucking them in, and if you turn the lights off, and you turn on the iPhone and put your Bible on there, and you read a paragraph, read a chapter if you want to, however long, you know, the kids are in bed, they're calmed down, and I think it's the bright light of the, you know, iPhone kind of zones them in, they get locked in, and they're very focused, and so, you know, that's a really powerful thing you can do as well, and I, I've, I don't do this perfectly, but I've tried to make a vow that if my kids say, you know, I have five kids, so putting all the kids to bed, I'm just like, get in bed, everybody, you get, you know, and I'm barking at everyone, and then I have to make this vow that if they say, hey, will you read the Bible to me, I'll be like, Yes, I will. I've made the vow that I will do it. And, of course, it's delightful when I, when I do it. But, um, but, you know, another thing, these are things, if they're helpful, use them. If they're not, if they're not. But what routines are you putting in place? But, you know, related to that, that, that paragraph from home is also the practice of evening family worship. And, you know, for some of you, I know that that might be an intimidating idea of having worship as a family, lead, you know, if you're a parent leading worship. And so I just want to give you a little bit of a picture of what that looks like in our home, if this is helpful. I, the only reason is because I think many of us can do it. I think we're intimidated by it, but it's really, a, it's really a delightful thing. And again, I would not push you. You know, if you have, when I had five kids, five and under, I was not trying to make them all sit still and listen to me read the Bible. It's just going to be discouraging. They're going to get to an age when they can do that. And so if you're not ready for it, wait until the time when you are ready. It's okay. You know, the Bible does not command you to have family worship. But if you spend your, the whole, their whole childhood and there's never a routine for us to talk about the scriptures or pray together as a family, it's not going to happen. So there's, there's a balance in there. And so as our kids have gotten older, um, what we do is we, at the end of dinner, when we eat dinner together, I pull out a Bible and I'll just read, often not, usually not a whole chapter, maybe a paragraph. And the goal is just to have some spiritual interaction. And so, for example, if this passage was the one that's in the bulletin for you, was the passage that we were going to read, I, probably, I wouldn't probably read the whole thing. Maybe the first four or five verses would give us plenty to talk about. And you'd start reading, and I'd say, okay, here, uh, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, that says the Lord is one. Is the Lord, you know, I might ask the kids, is the Lord ever more than one? <laughs> you know, they might say, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are three. You know, it's like, oh, well, is that three gods? Or is that, you know, do we believe in three gods or one God? Well, this says the Lord is one. So there's one God and three persons. Maybe you do a little teaching on the Trinity. All right, that was good. All right, now have a look, Saints. And then we go to the next verse. So, so uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You might say, why does it say all three of those things? The heart, the soul, and your mind. And you let them try. You know, I don't think there's a wrong answer to that. Why does it say three things? I don't know. You know, use your muscles to serve God. or You know, what's the difference between a heart and a soul? I'm not sure I know what the difference between a heart and a soul is. Let them try it out. Try to, you know, try to figure out what's the difference between a heart and a soul. Okay, you have a little exchange with that. And that's, that's interesting. You sh- and then it goes on. And, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, maybe as a parent, you give a little exhortation. You see how beautiful that is to have God's word in our heart? 
That's why we read this. Don't we want to have God's word in our heart? Wow, it's powerful. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. That's what we're doing right now. What about you guys? When you're parents, are you going to teach them to your children? And you let your kids, maybe they let them take a vow that, you know what, when I'm a parent, I'm going to teach these scriptures to my kids. And let them have a vision for what, you know, when they're parents in their future. And you don't, see, this is not, you know, Pastor Nate giving another sermon. You know, it's, it's an exchange. It's letting them talk. It's just asking questions. And, you know, sometimes that would be five minutes. Great. Sometimes the Spirit will get a conversation going. You spend a half hour talking. That would be delightful to talk about the Lord. But, you know, and, but there's no pressure. There's no rush. It should be experience of delight and joy. And then maybe you pray for someone. You have different ways that you could go around. You could make prayer requests. You could do that. We sometimes don't do that. We just read a scripture. Sometimes we read a hymn. You know, this was a, this was a strange thing for us. You know, um, you know I, I didn't uh, grow up going to church. And um, when Shannon and I first got married, we went to this little church out in the uh, county called Wiser Lake Chapel. It's a great uh, church. And the first time we were newly married, I'd never been a member of a church. And I went to this church, and the first time we were there, there was a couple that invited us over to their home. And the, it, was a, it was a cabin that the guy had built with his hands. And then the, the uh, lunch was a, um, a lamb that had died in the bar, barbed wire fence that they cooked up. You know, it was like, even Shannon and I are from Bellevue, you know, this was like a new experience for us. And so before all the foods, you know, laid out on the table, and before we start eating it, they start passing out the hymnals, and we're thinking, are we going to sing right now? You know, this was, and then we all sang together, and it was, we were like, we like this. Like, we, you know, it was strange, but we actually really enjoyed it. And it's been, and, you know, it's something that, you know, we'll pull the hymnals and sing with the kids. And if you have them on hand sitting there next to your table, it's, you're able to do that. And it's, it's really simple. You want to do it? Do it. You don't want to do it? Make it delightful. Okay? There's not a lot of instructions in the Bible so, so that it's a good experience. And so um, um, all of this could take 10 or, 10 or 15 minutes. And yet it would be very powerful. And so all this to say is that the Christian formation, the nurture and discipleship of our children happens in our homes, both in a way that's kind of spontaneous, right? It's happening throughout the, the day. It also demands some routine. And it takes some time to think about what those routines are. I've given you some. You, could, you might implement some of that. But the last thing that we have to talk about is what is the content, what is the message we're trying to say to our children? through this teaching. What's the main message? And that's the third thing, is that discipleship is gospel-centered. The main message we're teaching them is about who God is and what he's done. It's not about morals. It's not about this is, how, this is what good people do. You know, that kind of stuff, you hear about that all the time. It doesn't give you life. But you hear about what God has done and who he is. That thrills the soul. And that's one of the things I love about this passage um, is in verse 20... You'll notice what it says, this great scene where Moses is writing this. He describes the scene, right? And it says in verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, right? The child's coming asking the parents a question. What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? So they're saying, you know, why do we do all this stuff? Oh, we're always going to church. We're always talking about the Lord. You know, why do we make such a big deal of this? Important question, the why. And here's the answer, verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God, God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. It tells a story. Why do we do all these things? Because we were rescued. And what Jesus says, just as Israel was rescued out of slavery from Egypt, he says we have now been rescued out of slavery to sin. And that's the story of our family. We were sinners, and, and, and sin would have torn our family apart. It would have torn us away from God. It would have destroyed our lives. And Jesus rescued us. Jesus rescued me. And he put you in this family. You hear the gospel. He's going to rescue you from our sins. And our God is a rescuer who's poured out his grace upon us. And he's good. And he's the king. And we love him. And he's called us his children and his servants. And it, we tell the story over and over again. And just as, as adults, that's what we need to hear over and over again. It's the grace of God, the gospel. That's, that's what we're announcing to our children, and that's the main message we want them to hear. It's the main message that Deuteronomy tells us to tell our children, both spontaneously and through these routines is God's grace to us in Jesus. Let's pray together.